this is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Me welcome Pastor Renee from California. He's here with us this morning. We love this guy and love having him thank at Woodland you, Hills. So welcome back. Katie, thank Glad you so here. much. It is such a privilege to be back here at Woodland Hills. How many of you know that you have a great church here at Woodland Hills? It's amazing. I mean, it truly is. I mean, I, Katie, I felt like that was a little bit tepid for the quality of church people have here. I mean, I'm telling you, I, get, I, I have the privilege of speaking all over the country. This is one of my favorite churches I come to. Do you all know you have a great church here at Woodland Hills? The worship is amazing. What you do for the community here in Branson. And I love Pastor Ted. He's one of my favorite pastors to listen to. He's not only a comedian. Everybody always says that first. He's so hilarious. But he's also courageous. And he really courageously teaches the word of truth. Let's just give it up for Pastor Ted, because I think he's watching right now from Oregon. He's amazing. Well, listen, I get to join you every single summer when I visit out here from California and speak at Canada Cook, and it's always our privilege. And a lot has happened in the life of our family for the last year. The three biggest highlights are this. Since I've been with you last, we have had not one, not two, but three new family additions, three little grandbabies. There they are. That is so rewarding for me to hear that from you. Let's say it together. Ah, one, two, three. Ah. This is Emmett, and that's Willa, and that's Amelia, and all three of our adult kids all had COVID babies. And so it's just the best. So these are three bright spots for us, but let's all admit it. The last year has also had some not-so-bright spots, right? And it continues that way now with the the weird weather. They're talking about new variants and monkeypox and all kinds of stuff. Somebody emailed me the other day and said, Pastor, it seems like every single day when I open up my news apps, my social media apps, there's something new to get freaked out about. Do you relate to that? I noticed that even as a pastor, I noticed members of my own congregation just falling into despair. And that's part of the reason why I wrote this book that Katie talked about, Faith Forward. The subtitle is How to Live Courageously in an Uncertain World. And what I want to talk about this morning is the basic concept behind this book. It's a concept that's found all through the Bible, like literally on every single page. And yet many Christians seem to completely miss it. And so let's pray together and ask the Lord to, to bless this time. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, I know that's, that many people who are joining us right now, whether it's virtually or in person here in the auditorium or elsewhere on campus, uh, are stressed right now or are anxious right now or are just feeling tired. And so, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit and by your inspired word, I pray that you would lift us up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to start with a question that has puzzled scientists uh, really for centuries. And the question is this, what is it that makes us humans different than other creatures. Now, just think about this for just a second. And before you come up with a quick answer, 
uh, let me suggest that it may be a little bit more difficult to determine what really makes us absolutely different than you suspect. Now, of course, as Christians, we know that we're created in the image of God. But what I'm talking about is how does this work itself out practically in daily life? How is the image of God seen in us? People used to say, well, language. But since then, we've discovered that actually animals do use some animals, a rudimentary form of language, most famously whales, right? They communicate some pretty complicated concepts, like there are predators two miles downstream, circle around them. Nobody really understands their language yet, but it's clear that they use language through their songs. And then people thought, well, tools, but obviously there's animals like even crows and other birds that use wire and things to get at food. So, so what makes us different? Well, Time Magazine uh, famously reported on uh, some experiments that some scientists performed because they had a hunch about this. And they did an interesting experiment. They wrote a series of puppet shows. And they showed these puppet shows to an audience of little kids, actually hundreds of audiences of kids in cultures all around the world. Now, these puppet shows had no words. They were just actions that were telling stories. And they showed these stories over and over again to to very young children. And what they found was even the littlest kids really got into the stories. They started anticipating the plot and they started to realize, oh, that guy's the bad guy and he's going to jump out and he's going to scare the other characters and he's going to try to trick the other characters. And they, they almost instantly understood that a story was being told. And then they showed the exact same puppet shows to primates, to chimps and and other apes, again, all over the world, and they never got it, ever. They were like, what is happening up there? And their conclusion, the scientists, not the chimps, was this... (laughs) What makes humans different than other creatures? At least one thing is storytelling. We humans are apparently the only one of God's creatures that tell stories. In fact, think about it. Stories are how we make sense of the world. We take events in our lives and we have this built in, apparently God created human drive to make sense of random events, to put those events into narratives into storylines. I picture it kind of like this. Events are like separate dots you could imagine on a piece of paper. And we connect those dots into storylines as lines that connect the dots and help predict the outcome where the storyline is going. One dot might be a personal crisis, like a a divorce, or maybe you get fired from a job, or or you have cancer. Another dot might be a global crisis, like maybe the war in Ukraine or the COVID crisis and so on. One person will take those same two dots and tell a story that those dots fill into that trends downward. Yep, these events are just one more confirmation that everything's going downhill, it's all going to hell in a handbasket, God hates me, and the world is crumbling. And these events just prove that story. 
another person fits those exact same events into a different storyline that trends up. Same exact events. Well, these events are trials that God's going to use to strengthen me. God's going to use even this for good. I just know it. Same exact events. Two completely different storylines. And here's the big idea. You cannot choose the events of your life. I mean, you have some tiny bit of control, but there's so many events, global events and personal events and health events that you cannot choose. How many of you realize by now the life-giving realization that you cannot choose most events in your life? Do you understand that? But you can choose the story. In fact, you should choose the story because the story you choose changes your experience of the events in a real way. It's kind of like this. I love Pixar movies, like the movie Up. Oh, that one gets me every single... I cry every single time I watch this movie. Raise your hand if you cry when you watch Up. Anybody here? Raise your hand if you have ever cried at a movie in your life. Raise your hand right now. Raise your hand if you've ever felt uplifted after you've seen a movie in your life. Can you raise your hand? Now, what did anything happen to you in real life while you sat in that chair and watched that movie that uplifted you or that made you cry? Did anything actually happen to you in real life? No. Why did you have those emotions? They were entirely created by storytelling. It is so powerful. And the same exact thing, follow me here, is true of your everyday life. Many, if not most, of your emotions of fear, of confidence, of joy, of apprehension are created by the stories that you choose. And as a pastor, here's why I'm so concerned about this. I just read that the number of people engaging with online news sources has doubled in the last two years. And that's no surprise, right? With COVID and the elections and all the other social crises going on, everybody now is online. They're, 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 they're scrolling the news feeds all the time. Now, here's why that's a problem. Unfortunately, according to an organization called NewsGuard, which is nonpartisan, the amount of false or misleading news content has also doubled. And so many Christians are falling prey to this. In fact, uh, I just read a study about how, what are the groups that are pushing forward their content on social media? You know, they're at, like everybody's on social media. There's, there's over a billion people on Facebook alone. But who's actually active? Who's actually promoting their stuff on social media? Now, over 90% of the people that are pushing, pushing, pushing stuff out on social media fall into four groups. The extreme left, the extreme right, trolls, and Russians that literally have as their stated goal to undermine Western democracies. And the sad thing is so many Christians are falling prey to the narratives that those groups are pushing out on social media. Adam talked a little bit about this last weekend here, right? I spoke about this in my message here last summer. Researchers found, for some reason, we Christians 
are particularly apt to pass on false news stories and social media posts and negative news stories, conspiracy theories and clickbait. In other words, we Christians are supposed to be about good news, but often we're about bad news or even fake news. It's time for us to be more discerning about the stories that we consume and pass along. I see so many Christians acting like baby birds when it comes to social media and the news, right? Just feed me whatever you got. I'll eat whatever worms looks appetizing. Just eating up whatever they see on their news feed is gospel truth. But not every story is gospel truth. That is so, so important for us to realize. And, and, and here's our key verse for today that talks about this. 2 Corinthians 10.5. This is so, this is just so key. And this, again, this dovetails right into where Adam was coming from last weekend. And I, I encourage you to look at that message if you haven't uh, seen it yet. Read this verse out loud with me. <clears throat> Pardon me. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now watch this. And read this out loud. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What's Paul saying? He's saying that there are a lot of storylines. There are a lot of narratives out there that are contrary to the gospel. And so you need to take back control. Don't be a stupid baby bird. And don't just sit there passively and let everybody else tell you their storyline. Because you can't change, as we said, most of the events of your life, but you can change the way you experience life. You can change the emotional temperature of your life and of Branson and of this country and of your church if you very carefully make these three choices. I got three points this morning. You can jot these down. They're easy to remember. Number one, I must choose The story I hear. Say that out loud with me. Choose the story I hear. Here's why this is so important right now. Something has happened in the last 10 or 15 years in the world that is different than anything that has happened before. This is new. For all those centuries, for most of human history, the storytellers were elders like the older crowd or religious leaders, civic leaders, and the purpose of the stories they told ultimately was guidance on how to live life. For the first time in human history, the storytellers are no longer kind of the wise elders. Now the storytellers are who? The media. That could be new media, social media. It could be traditional corporate media. But they are the ones that are telling us the stories now. And What is their purpose for telling their stories? I don't think it's diabolical, but their purpose is simple. They're in business, most of them. Their purpose is, you could say, eyeballs, right? They want your clicks. Again, like Adam talked about last weekend, they want your views. They want your likes because they get dollars from that. So if that's their purpose, think this through. What kind of stories are they going to tell? If they want more views... What kind of stories are they going to tell? Well, research has shown that stories with three elements get our attention. This is probably just because of like some kind of 
primitive brain thing where we learn to like respond to these things. But the stories that have three elements typically get our attention. And those three elements, probably no surprise, are sex, violence, and threats, especially the third one, threats. And so every single story they tell is told in as threatening a way as possible, right? For example, uh, I heard a story that went something like this. One of the Dallas Cowboys receivers or something, some second stringer, is looking to renegotiate his contract. Here's the way the story was told. News out of the Cowboys franchise today could spell doom for the Cowboys. Story at 11. Doom, right? Or uh, for Micah, could it be the hidden killer in your kitchen? The story at 11. Every single little thing is told in as threatening a way as possible. So is it any wonder that people today are full of emotions like fear and apprehension and frustration Those emotions are created by these constant stories that you're being told all the time. But you have the ability to stop that and choose to hear a different story. And for Christians, of course, I'm talking about the gospel story. Now, you might hear the gospel story go, oh, yeah, the gospel, like the four spiritual laws, I accepted Jesus, I know what you're talking about. I'm talking about the gospel story that permeates every single moment of your life. This is an easy way that I think uh, I I can uh, help you picture this. I I think of the gospel as having a shape, like an inverted bell curve. Jesus came from glory, from heaven, and he became one of us and then died on a cross. But then he rose again, and he did this to save us from our sins. And when we put our trust in that, we are saved. And and that is the core of the gospel message. Glory to death to life, cross to resurrection, weakness to power. But if you're a Christian, this is not just something that happened one time in history. This is now your story. This is now the shape of your life, inexorably. And this is where, in my experience as a pastor, so many believers are like, what? What are you talking about? But the, once, you, once you look for it, you see this on every page of the Scripture. Let me take you to a familiar verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul's going through some tough stuff, but he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not what? We're not crushed. We're perplexed. Raise your hand if you've ever felt perplexed in the last couple of years, right? What is happening? But we're not in what? We're not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down. We are not destroyed. We love that verse. But in the next two or three verses, he explains why. And those are the verses we don't read. He goes on to say this. For, because... We who are alive, let's go back to the previous verse. We who are, we always carry around, I'm sorry, go back to verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Skip to verse 14. 
We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. What is all this about death, life, death, life, death, life? Paul is repeating a pattern. He's saying, this is our storyline. This is how we connect all the random dots, the events of our lives, our church's life, our world history. Probably N.T. Wright can explain this better than I can. He's like a genius. He taught New Testament at both Oxford and Cambridge, so decently smart guy. And he talks about 2 Corinthians this way. He says, Paul's theme throughout this letter is this, the strange royal comfort that comes from the suffering, death, and new resurrection life of Jesus. Now watch this. He is determined to view all of his suffering and all of the troubles of the world through the lens of the gospel. The gospel, as Paul summarizes it, is about Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. Now, it mattered vitally to Paul that these were real events that actually took place. Watch this. But it matters just as much that they become the lens through which the whole world can be seen in proper focus, the grid on which all reality and personal experience can be plotted. What we're saying is the gospel has a shape. We sang all the, like the whole worship set was about this, right? He turns graves into gardens. He turns bones into armies. He turns those deep seas into highways, amen? And that's what he does in our lives too. In the Christian life, we can expect both death and resurrection. And this is very, very important to understand. In life, there are crosses. You must understand this. If you're expecting just constant, just victory after victory after victory, you're going to be blown away the bad times. You're going to think, how can this be? God doesn't love me. But if you only expect crosses, disasters, one after another, you've gotten to the point where you're just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You fall into pessimism and despair. Paul is saying our lives have both. In life, there are crosses. Yes, that's just reality. If you are in a cross moment in your life, a death moment, a buried in the ground moment, God's not mad at you. God hasn't abandoned you. God's not punishing you. That's just life. Even Jesus' life had a cross. Yet there is also resurrection. There will come new life and new blessings and redemption and restoration. That is the shape of the gospel. That is the shape of the Christian life. When you plot your personal crises and global crises onto that storyline, it changes everything. You cannot change those events, but you can change the storyline. But you have to do it consciously and proactively and not just sit there like a baby bird and let everybody else tell you their stories. Here's how important this is. Psychologist Dan McAdams has done some fascinating research. Watch this. He's found that people who, who are pessimists, people who tend to despair, 
are more apt to tell what he calls contamination narratives. Now say that out loud with me. Contamination narratives. Contamination narratives are about how something was really good in my life, had a lot of promise, but then, you know, the man was against me or I messed it up one more time. Hey, how was your Hawaii vacation? Well, Hawaii was great, but let me tell you what happened on the way back. That airline totally ruined our vacation. Hey, uh, how are you set up for retirement? Well, okay, I guess, but you know what? I had a bunch of Tesla stock, sold it when it, it was at its low, and now I could have been a millionaire. You know people like that, right? They're always telling a contamination story. My, everybody's got it against me. I always mess up my life. Now, people who have a fulfilling life tend to tell what he calls redemption narratives. Say that out loud with me. Redemption narratives. And redemption narratives tell the exact same event, but they talk about how good came out of it. And, and this is not a, a Christian. This is a secular psychologist who's noticed this trend. Like, yeah, our, our airline messed up on the way back from Hawaii. We had this, you know, one day long delay, but guess what? In the waiting room at the airport, I was able to get in a great conversation about Jesus with this guy who was sitting right next to me. It was awesome. Yeah, you know what? I got this job and I got fired from it, but it allowed me to discover my true passion in life and it turned into the best thing that ever happened to me. And you know people who are always telling redemption narratives, right? When it comes down to it, these are the two kinds of narratives you can tell and the two kinds of narratives that you can hear about your own life. And this is so important for us to understand because in the Bible, God's telling us a gigantic redemption narrative, right? So are you choosing to hear God's redemption narrative or a contamination narrative? Think about that. How everything's going to pot. Yep, Branson's not what it used to be. Yep, look at the world is sinking fast. <laughs> or a redemption narrative. You and I need to choose the story we listen to, we hear, and make sure it is gospel-shaped. Uh, let me just apply this very quickly. I'm spending most of my time on the first point of three here. Don't worry. Some of you, some of you are still letting your cruel parent tell you your story about how worthless you are, about how you'll never amount to anything. Some of you, that parent has been dead for years. You do not have to let them tell you your story anymore. Let your lovingly heavenly father tell your story. Or is your primary negative, yeah, the narrative rather, yeah, I was hurt by X. And now that hurt now defines me. Hurt does not have to be the end of your story. Instead, hear this story. Yes, in life there is death. Yes, there are crosses. But every crucifixion will be turned to resurrection when we are in the Lord. That is the gospel story, amen? So frame every event through that story. Filter every hurt through that story. Cling to that story in times of fear. Cling to that story in times of failure. Hear that story. And then number two, very quickly, I must choose the story I live. Choose the story I live. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the story of Bethany Hamilton, the famous surfer. Have you heard of her? I mean, at age 13, 
She was bitten by a shark off the coast of Kauai and lost her left arm. That's a big, bad event for sure on her timeline. And she could have chosen to weave it into all kinds of different storylines. Here's the storyline she lives out. Look at this quote. It was a terrible thing that happened to me, but so many good things have come out of it that it turned into a beautiful thing. Now, is that a contamination narrative or a redemption narrative? That's a redemption narrative, right? Reminds me of Joseph's story in the Bible, right? Do you remember that story? One bad thing after another happens to him. He's thrown into a pit by his own brothers. He's enslaved. He's imprisoned. Yet he eventually rises to power. He's able to save his family. And he tells them this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Is that a contamination narrative or a redemption narrative? That's a redemption narrative. It reminds me of my good friend, a man named Rick Alverd. I wanted to bring Rick here with me and have him on the platform with me today. Wish I could have done it. Woodland Hills wouldn't pop for his plane tickets. So instead, (laughs) what I did was this Zoom interview. Here's about two and a half minutes of it. Watch this. Well, thank you for joining me, Rick. Uh, You have quite a story. Life was going along as normal. And then all of a sudden on July 16th, 1997, I was involved in a pretty significant uh, auto accident. I was transitioning from one freeway to another freeway on a freeway uh, transition bridge in Southern California. As I traveled along, uh, a young driver uh, going a little too fast hit my Jeep Grand Cherokee in the back corner the Jeep probably rolled three times over and over and then went off the transition bridge, landing about 65 feet below on a full gas tank, flipped over on the roof and slid down by the edge of the 91 freeway. So as you can imagine, uh, that kind of a fall, there was significant injuries. Um, really, medically speaking, I shouldn't be here today. God did amazing miracles. and uh, But in the process, I did lose my weight, my feeling in my legs and use of my legs from my waist down. So it was a pretty... Uh, a significant day, but the fact that I'm here and uh, God spared my life that day as part of his story, I'm very thankful for that. So, Rick, you've been paralyzed from the waist down since that day. You uh, have been in a wheelchair since that day. And you could fit that event into a storyline of resentment and blame and anger, but you have chosen a different story. Storyline. Tell us about that. Well, my wife and I, Laura and I, we've decided, we decided early on that, that, that we wouldn't be asking the why questions because this is part of God's story. We'd be asking what next. And so our approach has been all along not to be asking, what if I'd asked one more question that day and I wouldn't have been on the freeway at that time in the meeting I was in? Or what if I, the meeting that day was actually moved up 30 minutes from what it was originally scheduled to be. Well, why did that happen? We can do that all day long, but what we've chosen to do is not really look at those questions, but look at the question of what next, what does God have for us, and how can he use us in the, in the remaining days we have on this earth to impact his kingdom? And so as you look at my story and think about it, it's really not a matter of what happened to me that day. It's really what's more important is how does this fit into God's overall story? People have found the Lord for the first time as a result of our accident. People have been drawn closer to him. So at the end of the day, it's really God's story. And we're believing and trusting that story is good for us in the end. It's hard now. It's not an easy life. But in the end, it will be exactly what he 
is calling it what he is, his, his will, what he wanted. Do you have anything to say to people who are going through a crisis right now in their lives? I would say that people are in crisis now, and there's a number of people that are hurting in so many different areas. I would say, folks, stay focused on what God is bringing to you, what God's doing in your life, how he's working in your life. Um, as a result of what he's doing, in the end, you'll be a better person. That's a powerful story, isn't it? It's amazing. And uh, let me ask you this question. Is that a contamination narrative or is that a redemption narrative? That's a redemption narrative. And in fact, in telling that story, he's illustrating my third point. We not only need to choose the story that we hear and choose the story that we live out on a daily basis, but also choose the story that we tell. I need to choose the story that I tell. And here's why this is so important. Tanya Luna did a story published in Child Psychology and Psychiatry, uh, Psychiatry Journal. Fascinating story. Check this out. She showed kids a series of intense images like a dog snarling. And she measured their response. Well, obviously, most kids are going to respond with fear and anxiety when they see this picture. Then she had them look at the same exact set of images again, but this time with comforting captions like, this dog is defending a little girl. As she put it, it was like they were seeing completely different photos. All their fear responses went away, and instead they became happy. Same exact photographs, different storyline. Now, here's why she did that research. Her specialty is veterans with PTSD. And she says that adults who learn how to handle traumatic events in their lives have that same skill. They kind of caption the photographs differently. As she puts it, quote, they don't deny the traumatic event, but they add a personal narrative that redeems the picture. I grew, I learned, I deepened, I am a better person now. It's not denial. It's not some weirdo false positivity. It's all good. No, it's connecting the dots in a different way. This is so very important to us. And so as we wrap up, I want you to ask yourself, what is the story I am telling myself? You know, maybe like me, you have what I call a negative narrator inside your head. Forget social media. Forget traditional media. You got that negative narrator telling you a negative story inside your own brain. You always make a fool out of yourself. Think of all the mistakes you've made in the past. You'll probably just fail again. That is not God's story. God's story is you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God's story is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. God's story is God will work all things together for good. You need to call out the negative narrator, whether it comes from social media or some news headline or inside your own head. So what is the story you're telling yourself? And second, what is the story you are telling others? Are you an agent of hope? Too many Christians are agents of gloom these days. Let me ask you something very frankly. When you forward a news story, when you forward an article, when you forward some social media post, a tweet or a Facebook post or, or, or a TikTok video or anything else, is that a contamination narrative you're forwarding? 
Are you contributing to the toxic conversation or is that a redemption narrative that you can use to illustrate the gospel in your posts and in your relationships with people? What story are you telling yourself and what story are you telling others? Christian, this is so important because there are powerful forces in this world that want you to see everything through the lens of their stories. And this is not a left or the right thing. This is people on the left, people on the right, and people who are indifferent to politics, they just want to make money. But they're powerful. So you need to take control of the story you hear, the story you live, and the story you tell. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? I just want to pray over you today. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Lord, help us to connect the dots to your storyline. To connect the events of our lives to the gospel story that, yes, there are crucifixions, but there will be resurrections inevitably and inexorably, not because of us, but because of your power and your promise and your person. And God, right here, right now, people, there are some people who may be understanding for the very first time that becoming a Christian isn't just praying one prayer one time. It's becoming a part of a story you are writing, the gospel story that takes the contamination narrative of a fallen world and weaves it into the redemption narrative that you wrote on that Easter Sunday when you turned a grave into a garden. And God, there may be people in this room right now who say, I want to take my place in that story. Lord, I receive you. I walk into your newness of life granted to me by Jesus Christ. Help me to grow in that and Lord, help all of us to choose the stories we hear and live out and especially the story we tell to a world so in need of your redemption narrative. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, listen.